0: Thanks, Nathan. Okay, Far's ready for the word of God. Yes, dear me, what's happening in the middle row? Are they having a long lie? Forgetting it. you Sides are packed. A fair amount in the middle, but uh, Okay, right, turn your Bibles to Song of Songs. And this word fits in line with Alson with saying as well. He's got the unworthy bride. As we go through Songs of Songs, I'm never going to go through it every single week. Looking at just chapter verse chapter verse chapter verse as in as it as it is written, I'm just going to pick out certain themes. It's an amazing book. It's a complex book. It's a book of romance. It's a book between romance between a king and his bride. And you could read it just pertaining to earthly relationships. But as we explained last week, I'm not going to review the hell of last week. But we are ascending the hill of the Lord, and seeing how it pertains to Jesus and His bride. And it was, as we spoke last week, it was the Song of Songs. Are the songs that was ever written by Solomon and probably all the songs of the earth that God would look at this song and say, this is a Song of Songs. Just like Jesus is the King of Kings, that is Lord's earthly kings, but He's the extreme King that rules over all. And He's the Lord of Lords. And God says, this is a Song of Songs. And are your Spotify playlists and Amazon Prime playlists and other songs that you listen to, And are the songs of love and compassion? God says, This is a song of songs as it pertains to Jesus and the bride, which is his church. And we spoke last week, it's Solomon wrote it. He also wrote Ecclesiastes, for it's ahing is meaningless. He looked at the world and ahing is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Yet he comes to write his song of songs and he says, Kiss me, kiss me again, your love is sweeter than wine, He is saying, I have found a love that is greater than everything I have ever found on earth. And I pray as we come here this morning that there would be an expression of the love of Jesus in our hearts, and we would say His love is better than wine, it's better than anything that I have found on earth. And I'm sure a lot of people in here would agree with that. So last week we spoke about His passion. Jesus has for his bride the church that will come together. And it's not just about the universal church; it's about us as individuals. As Julie was praying, he's here to do business, not just with this organisation called church. He's here to do business with you as an individual. So we speak about the church universally, but we also speak about us as individuals. And as Alison was sharing about belonging, as well, some of that will come up this morning. So reading for verse five. So we've gotten this expression. So we start our Christian life and we are on a journey and we just fall in love with Jesus because his love is revealed to us. And we find that his love is sweeter than wine. In verse five, we're got gotta be speaking on and focusing on a bride that is full of doubt, a bride that doesn't feel as though she belongs, a bride that feels unworthy. Listen to this in verse 5, I am dark but beautiful, O woman of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. I am dark but beautiful. Dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. If it is a bride speaking on, it's not speaking about just rest that then I look at my because I'm too dark. Back in that culture, the darker your skin got, it was a sign of your class. The shock I got when I went to the Philippines, you see here in the northeast of Scotland, we're looking forward to getting a tan, aren't we? Am I right? we got to be out sunshine. If the sun's out, we're out. Tan, tan, tan. And then when I some of these spray tans, not me, My few years might. Because we see the tan getting darker as a sign of sunshine in summer. And then if we went to the Philippines, incredibly that instead of tanning products and boots, I was bleaching products. It was either other way, am I right? Trying to get me fairer. And I'm not saying this is the reason that it's in here, but different cultures think different things about being darker or fairer. In the culture here, that if you was a darker skin, it means you was very, very working class and below. For a woman to have very dark skin, it was like she goes out and works in a fair'um. She's outside from morning till night, so she's got darker skin, so it was a sign of being poor. Shepherds and farmers would have darker skin simply because it was out in the eastern heat. Whereas if you had a fairer skin, it was like you had an office job. You were a businesswoman. You was not outside that day. You were counting pennies and doing the books. So you get a picture of this lady, she, she loves the groom, but she feels really unworthy. And she says, I'm dark, but I'm beautiful, a woman of Jerusalem. Oh, I'm as dark as the tents of Kedar. dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. This is fits in our mind, I'm so dark, I'm so poor. Don't stare at me because I am dark, the sun has darkened my skin. She said to the groom, I'm too dark, don't stare at me. Too poor, and I come close. This groom that is already full of love for the bride, she's like, I'm so unworthy. And it's not just a picture of our physical appearance, it's a picture of our heart. She feels so unworthy to meet this fantastic, beautiful, holy king groom. she feels outclassed. She feels as so the king. He, well, he's upper class, I'm just a lowly girl. Growing up, if you ever wanted to date or go with somebody else of the opposite persuasion, you always had to go for somebody that was in your league. Am I right? There was certain people that was just out of your league. Like, I was just brought up in Scarlet Park, hand me dunes from my brother, was my The rich quines in Spam Valley. They were out of my league. It was just, they were out of my league. So, you went for somebody that was within your league. I was growing up in the academy. Well, imagine for a second, if I was single, of course, married, Isabel, I found somebody that was. Out of my reach and I dragged her down to my level. Imagine I was in symposium and Princess Kate came in. I think I'd had a chance for Princess Kate. <laughs> it's alright. I think I get Dune in my cell. She's upper class, she mixes with royals. I'm a ex-Scalway Parker and lived off handy dunes got a pepper job when I was 12 just to get a penny in my pooch. And the wife would tean off a pound for every mistake I made. My first pie packet was seven quid. Brought up, it's working class. If Kate walked in, I wouldn't even get near her to speak to her. She says, a royal, I like nipping to McDonald's for a burger and slurping on a milkshake. And I think she'd be here, none of that. I'd be too unworthy to even speak her. never mind anything else, because there's simply just a difference in class, breathe the same oxygen, cut a single bleed, but I was just a different in class. In fact, this woman is thinking at this point, there's a difference in class, I'm so dark, I'm so tired, I'm so burnt, and this groom is so amazing, she says, didn't I even stare at me? I'm so burnt." And I have found in this journey, a Christian life, that I see Jesus is extremely holy, sinless, and beautiful. He's the creator of all things. Everything that is created is intended to glorify His plan and His purpose. But sometimes I'm like the bride that says, then I look at my Jesus. My heart is too dark, too far gone. And I feel the beauty that I see in you. Ever since I became a Christian, I'll tell you two things. I have never, ever doubted that Jesus is what He says He is. I've never doubted His beauty for a moment, not for one nanosecond have I ever doubted since I fell in love with Jesus, for He is, but I have doubted whether I belong to Him because I feel as a class difference. And sometimes it's been like, I even stare at my Jesus. He's, you're too good and I'm too bad. I've suffered fed doubt, and I would love to say that it's just historical. And I was, it's more part of the history than it is new. But after getting saved, after a teen challenge, you've still got a testimony. There has been weeks, if not months, of feeling too burnt, Jesus. My heart's too hard. My thoughts are too unbiblical. My actions didn't match up. And I prayed for long enough can't I keep up with the Bible study? I'm too hard. Then I stare at my Jesus because I'm so unworthy. i not sure if I belong. I've never doubted for a second five years, but I've doubted For I am and how I fit into His plan and purpose because He's so amazing. And again, I'm saved by grace. I would love to say I was just bothered by that years ago, and it's part of history. And, and God set me free. And ever since then, I've just seen my plan and my purpose within Jesus. But yet, I still go back and can be stuck on Song of Songs, chapter 1. For you think, God, didn't even stare at me just now. Stare at everybody else. I can see how spiritual everybody else is. Stare at them. But if you were to look into my heart, God. I'm dark and burnt. I feel under the strain that I kind of match up to this thing called the Christian life, for I'm supposed to be wonderfully free and full of joy, and nothing's supposed to hinder us, and every chain is broken. But yet, we have moments God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Just in I stare at my i never feel like that. It's a really real place to be. It's a place of con- condemnation and anxieties and feeling out of rightness with Jesus. And it pains us when we follow the Lord and we feel out of rightness. And we've got to come back and realize we belong. And I was saved by grace, and His grace that saved me is a grace that sustains me its life when I meet him face to face. It's His grace and His hands that was shed for me, that wiped away the sin and shame, and the hell history of the church. Named one person has led the perfect Christian life—only one, Jesus Christ Himself. So, if you feel as though you fall short, you're in good company. Every other person in the planet is in your company, and that's why we rejoice nay, in our behaviour. We rejoice in Jesus. I'm not saying it's a good place to be. I'm not saying, go for this place, and didn't I read your Bible, and didn't I pray, and just realize God loves you. I'm just, through Scripture, i saying it's a real feeling. But we'll go to, this was the words for the bride. This was not the words of the groom. Verse 6, Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my, si- my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. And they go major on this in the original in the King James. If you was reading this, it doesn't say my brothers were angry with me. It says my mother's sons. You say, well, that's just the same. It's brothers. But I was reading this commentary. I put it out wonderfully. Because it says in the original that it was my mother's sons, and they're just my brothers. You can gauge for that, it's a type of church, but it's never got the truly father and father, but it's the mother's sons. I think this is just a type of church that if we get involved with this type of church, we'll simply dean it wrong. It's like forced labor. Again, we hear appeals to do stuff and to serve and to do the flat, and we've got worship teams coming and doing it at nine, but it is, ah, if we start to finish a labor. Or love. Listen to the spirit in verse six. My brothers were angry with me. You get this working class woman. She's out in the field. It's her mother's brothers, her family, and her brothers was angry because it was forced labour, and you could imagine them just telling her how unworthy she is, picking up our mistakes, getting out of the mail than she is capable of doing. And she says, "My brothers." my own family were angry with me that the vineyard was not a place of joy or freedom. They forced me into a slave labor for their vineyards. And she said, I couldn't care for myself. You can see her own heart that she should have been tending to before the Lord. She didn't attend to that. The brothers was angry. It's a type of church, it's a type of religion, but the prevailing spirit is anger. And it's that idea we work, 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 and you're not good enough. Church is supposed to be the most wonderful expression of love and kindness and hope on the planet. I didn't really spend a lot of time for the pulpit discussing different denominations and how different churches are doing it, but I will say this and take this as a challenge that the prevailing spirit and honest fellowship shouldn't be angry with each other. The hell crux of the Christian life is bearing one another's burdens, and I come in angry come in with the love and compassion, then I come in with the staunch opinions that we carry. I have never seen in the history of church polarized views on other different things, and it affects local pastors and leaders in the extreme, because some will say with the COVID years that the restrictions wasn't far enough, and some would say we're too far, and they leader's going to win. Want to debate because different people will certainly have different opinions. But yet, the church of the living God, the spirit of Christ, is to He with love and compassion, will never get angry one to another. And if it does become that, we we'll spoil the vine, we we'll spoil the vineyard. Everybody wants to come in here and experience love, and grace, and mercy. We've got to care for it is to lay things down at the cross and leave it there. And the ecclesia, the church of the called out ones, was always meant to be a place of spiritual. Beauty, for Christ is glorified above every other thing if we come in praise and worship. Let not the prevailing spirit be anger. one to another, brothers and brothers and sisters and brothers." last lady says, I've had enough of the anger. I've had enough of the labor, I've tried it, I've cared for it, I've tried to make it work but just really affecting my heart before the Lord. Verse 7, she cries out to the groom, "'Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today?' And this is a question that every church leader should ask, because people look for strategy and wisdom for the pastor and the leadership, they're looking for the right answer. Every church leader should ask themselves this question. Christ, this is your flock. This is your people. Where are you leading them? This is not about me leading a movement, me leading a people, me leading thing. Christ, where are you leading your flock today? Even if we're feeling dry and lost and broken and dark and lonely, that God is still on the move. He's still caring for His flock. He's still caring for His sheep. So, she asks the question, it's like she's living this difficult, barren life, and she looks at God's flock, and she looks at the flock of the king, she says, you're really looking after them. They're experiencing rest, they're getting fed for the shepherd. I want to do life like that, I want to be cared for by you. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? where will you rest your sheep at noon? Again, the Christian life is supposed to be about rest. That God has initiated a day of rest for God's people, not 24 hours, but a lifestyle of divine rest that God speaks our life. Do not worry, do not worry, do not fear. 365 times through the hell Bible, do not fear. It's one for every day. Do not fear, do not worry. I've got you. You're my sheep. And we get to feed in His pastures, where will you rest your sheep at noon? I want this place of oh rest. Why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? Why must I act like a lady in a nightgown for here, there, and away when you've got rest for me, Jesus?" And then the young man speaks. You hear the bride's voice, though? She's unworthy. She feels so. She does not belong. She feels too tired by asking thing religion or church here's a young man. If you don't know, up until last point, point it's just a woman that are speaking. This woman like to speak, didn't it? So, she's got a lot to say, and the man has just listened, because that's what we do, men, isn't it? We just listen to the wife speaking. If you don't know, oh beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock. God's people, true people, will always leave their mark on the church and on planet earth. Follow the trail of my flock. See if I'm Dean in the true church's life, these people have written books. Spurgeon, Wesley, William Booth, people that have left their mark. The groom says, follow the trail of my flock. I have my people on earth. Get amongst them. Go to church, go to the true church, get amongst that people that carry the fire, that carry the rest, that carry divine love, that worship team that will push through and break through. Go there. The groom says, didn't it just say, come and meet me, he says, go for the true flock is. And they're leaving their mark because you got to follow the trail. Listen to their prophetic words, listen to their heart's desire, listen to the call. Listen to how they want to help the poor. Listen to how the journey of people get around these people. They're on planet Earth and they're leaving a mark. The groom says, follow the trail of the true flock. That's where you'll find me. That's where my presence will be amongst my people, my true people. Follow the trail of the apostles. Follow the trail of the Moseses or the King Davids. We've got a beautiful biblical report of the flock of God get into the Word. Lamb, speak to you through His Spirit, through the Word. The same Spirit that wrote it is the same Spirit that reveals it. See Christ through the pages of these books, and you will find yourself in a good place. In the early moments of discipleship, we follow in others' footsteps. Somebody just doesn't get saved and they can't ask how to live the Christian life. And some are further on. You never can exactly 100% God for start to finish because he's omnipresent and infinite. But there's a beautiful thing that happens in a community like this. We learn for each other, don't we? We learn how to pray. Loud. Not because God has taught us, but because we follow in the footsteps of them that did. We learn for us to get baptized and immersed through water, not because we instantly care nothing as soon as we get saved, but we follow in the footsteps of them that have gone before us. We care for it is to move in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not just because we open up the Bible and we see it there, but we learn for people that move. We follow in their steps. and God says, oh, beautiful woman, follow the trail, the trailblazers. Pray for my trailblazers to be raised up in the church. Follow the trail of my flock. Graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. What does that mean to you? Graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. I think it's this. Do what you can They have family expression in church. The young goats. Take the young goats as well. Take the kids. Shepherd wants to meet the kids. Take the young kids. Take the young goats. Graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. One of the most grateful things I am in this fellowship is the young kids. I'm not speaking as a dad. I'm speaking as a pastor. When you hear the pitter-patters, if this church didn't hear the pitter-patter of young feet and little kiddies running about, Oh, I'd be like, no, crazy young goats, take them along, and they bring great joy to the fellowship, don't they? And you see them from their pelting to the stage, and then the parent, who probably isn't a run in a while, pelts after him like they're going to explode. <laughs> if a kid takes one step on a stage. Graze your young goats, people. God delights in stuff like that. I Disney take a waffle in my worship one iota, And I see it as distraction. I just think Graze, your young goats. And you see them, they've got, every one of them's became Biscoffee addicts, haven't they? <laughs> like it's feeding time graze your young guts. Here you go Miriam's got a hell crash a hell row maybe that's why when the kids go downstairs the middle Road looks empty graze your young guts. tick to colouring and stuff make it enjoyable for them the church is a place for freedom and running and of mischief, they'll find somewhere else to go. I remember as a dad when Jacob was Nelan born. I did the crash set. First sat in the crash. It was just me and Jacob running about. And I questioned myself, Why am I here? Why am I here, God? I'm not getting nothing for this. I am simply looking after my child in the crash, and I could be doing this at him watching The Simpsons. But yet, there is something I would come in and letting them graze. My kids will make their own decisions as they grow up, I'll let the young goats graze. There's plenty of other places that wouldn't hear the young goats grazing. The Spirit would be anger, and it would be sit down, shut up, face, start to finish. It's just the truth. It's never been my thinking, and it's now that I'm irreverent. reverent. I just came for it is to praise and to worship, and I came during the Word. It's good to hear. I've got Sunday school going on, and they go, and they get dismissed, and they're gone doing air and learning the Word of God, doing air. But this place should always be a place the young God's grace. They let kids be kids. And we can sing even louder if we want. But it's great delight for the heart of the shepherd, I think, to see God's grazing at his house, at the shepherd's tent. The spirit of religion is, is that shut up. God doesn't like you if you make the noise. And yet the heart of the shepherd, take your young goats and let him graze at his feet, and let God's people, the trail blazers, laugh at the parents that's chasing him, and smile, and say, That's okay. They're kids. God has made them kids to be kids. And to love them and to see them nurtured. Wonder if the bride has just seen this excitement, this euphoria with the young goats grazing and rest and says, I want some of that. I want some of that freedom, I want some of that rest, I want some of that joy, I'm too dark, I'm too tired, I'm too burnt by I'm going through. I want the true shepherd, I want to be amongst his flock. I want the young goats to graze, even if it gets messy. Young goats grazing, well getting messy. Well better the young goats grazing and just being messy. Rather than the young got uninvited, unwelcomed, and then the flock just gets to do their pleasant res. Verse nine. <clears throat> I'm going to close with us because this is the groom's response. You are as exciting, my darling. Ah, oh, it's only five to eleven. I could keep you here for another hour and you'll still get to him for dinner time. Then they change the clock, it's alright, on they cut you hostage. For some reason, I've got Mother's Day's meals, kinda of, uh, that. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Now that's a description, isn't it? Imagine I went Tim Isabel and says, You are exciting, my darling, you remind me of a horse. <laughs> You are a mare among pharaoh's stallions, Isabella, she would be like, foot. As more elegant animals in descriptions to call your wife than you're a of a horse. But in the context was this. If to did a lot of studying to get us sort of truth, by the way, during war, the... The, your opposition would have uh, Pharaoh's warriors would be on horses, right? So you've seen the movies, and they'd be lining up, and the, the horses would be against. This is the picture of Pharaoh's horses, male horses, would be against, say, if it was Judah or Israel, and they'd be lining up for war. So, if it, they did as a distraction technique, they'd put a beautiful mare, a wifey horse in front of the males' horses, right? And then animal instinct would kick in, and the male horses would speak to each other and say, oh, look at her, She is hot. She is smoking. And other male horses would be looking at the mare, distracting for their job, was, which was to gallop for war. So as a tactic of the enemy, let's distract the male horses, let's put the beautiful mare, totally distract him. a groom saying, you are as exciting, my darling, as a mare amongst Pharaoh's stallions. You are so beautiful. You're a distraction. So gleaming that you might feel dark. You might feel burnt. You might feel unexcited in church. You might feel lonely and lost and broken. You're not good enough. Let the heart of the groom says, you are so beautiful. You are like a beautiful mare, a complete distraction to Abdi else. How much does God think of you? You're so beautiful. You're a distraction. He's so in love with you. He thinks Abdi should be looking at you. I'm too dark. God says, no, I hood you up. As a shining light. And then there's a few other beautiful words. How lovely are your cheeks. Your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. He will make you, for you, earrings of gold and beads of silver. And God says "Us, I want to show you off to the world. That's how much I'm in love with you, you hear, the bride, I'm unworthy, I'm worse than a second-class citizen. Then I even stare at me, but I'm so broken. And you see her opinion of her cell, and yet God comes and says, I have a vine for you, I have a flock for you, I have a belonging for you, I have a place for you, you're a bit of a jigsaw, and if you're near there, you're missing. And if you didn't come amongst God's flock, you're missing. It's not a place of anger or hatred or bitterness or opinions. It's a place of love or unity. The goats get to graze. The youngies get to run about. We have a laugh. We enjoy each other's company. We have disagreements about different things. But the only thing that's important is the shepherd. that is Jesus Christ. Everything else can go. Let's now be discussing things just about the world and our theories and our thoughts and different things. And there's a shepherd before us, a king shepherd, a groom shepherd, his name is Jesus. And he simply says before the world, Come to me, all you are weary, all you are burdened, and you will find my flock as a place of rest. And he says to each one, You're exciting, you excite me more than a stallion before horses. A mare before stallions, you excite me, and I want to show you off and put jewelry on you. And I want you to come out for your dark place, out for your lonely place, out for your forgotten place. And the king of kings would say, I'm proud to hear you as part of my family. I'm proud to call you brothers and sisters. I'm proud to show you my affection upon every other place and send you in the world. I'm proud of you. He says, I went to the cross for you. I paid for your sin and shame so that we could be friends and lovers, and I could adorn you with my favor and grace and wealth, and you will be a shining light and a testimony for ah, through the ages of time, the testimony of heaven will be Jesus paid it all to win us. Damn sale. He was not crucified for the angels. He was not crucified for the animals. He would not crucified just for the politicians or for the upper class. He was crucified for you, so that you might know Him, and He can adorn you with His love. And He says, I'm proud of you. Come out for your dark place. I believe that God is doing business with His church, that we would truly see Him and ourselves in a light of oh, His mercy and grace. I can look at many of you and I can see why God loves you. I can see why he's got you as part of his family because you're a gift to the body of Christ. But sometimes, I have to hang a room with myself 24-7. <laughs> I'm stuck with me, and I? And I get 1% of your life and the 1% I see is amazing. I can see why God wants you. My problem is me. I can't me too wheel I can't the things I've done. I kind can't of heartaches, I kind can of my troubles, I kind can of my worries. And I can be left with a sense of unworthiness. Yet God says, you belong. That's it. You belong. They just, I'm just gonna let you in by the sweat of your brow. If you work hard enough, you read the Bible enough, you pray enough, I'll just let you in. He says, No, I want to show you off. And put earrings on you and parade you in front of the principalities and the powers and says she is mine, he is mine, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes for a moment. I believe God wants to do business with you. The reason I have exhausted songs are songs one, and I will not be exhausted in every chapter of songs are songs, is because are uh, uh, I have read this about 50 times in the last few weeks. Every chapter that is written I see myself mere in chapter one. Maybe that's now a sign of good progress. I see myself more in chapter one than of the rest of the chapters, and i got so much faith. I thought, yep, I'll raise a net with a bride that just doesn't feel good enough, yet God wants to take us fair that feeling and to listen to His words, His response. Phenomenal. It's a phenomenal book. He's a phenomenal God. He's a phenomenal lover. His grace is more than you think it is. His mercy is more unending than you think it is. It's better than you ever believe it is. Let's close our eyes for a moment, and then we'll end the service. But in 20 years of being a Christian, I've seen myself in that so much. I think it's a word for each one of us in here, even if you didn't ken him. You may be thinking, unworthy, O Him, because He really is so holy, and He really is so pure. Yet He comes doing as a servant, as we see, washing His disciples' feet. He comes doing us, us as a man. He comes doing at our level, and He takes us in our condition that He finds us. And as we believe in Him as Lord and Savior, He scoops us up by His grace, and as Ephesians said, we're seated in heavenly places. The great challenge for every Christian is not just to see Jesus as He is, but to see us in relation to how He feels about us. And it can almost seem like Boston, prideful Boston, to say, God really loves me. And we sympathize with the, I'm so unworthy. I'm so undone. Who am I? I'm such a worm. oh a man. What is man that you are mindful of him? So I'm sympathized with that, that humility. But yet the true picture of humility is not just thinking like that. True picture of humility is agreeing with God, what God says, over your own feelings. It's true humility is saying, God, you are right. And I am wrong. And if you think I'm worth it, Humility says, I'm agreeing with God. So, Jesus, as we sit in your presence, may these words now just become void in our hearts, how you think about us. And God says that you are a new creation, that the old is gone, behold, the new has come. He sees you as the apple of his eye. He sees you worth dying for. He sees you, he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross. The joy was the cross. It was a joy of you receiving him as Lord and Saviour. And hearing the truth that we will be with him for eternity. And he says, I knitted you and I formed you. I put you together in your mother's womb. I knew you before you was even born. That he's a plan for your life, for good and never harm, a plan for you to feast as part of his flock, a place of rest, a place of wonder, a place of care, that the prevailing Spirit wouldn't be bitterness or unworthiness, that the prevailing Spirit would be love and kindness and joy as the Holy Spirit envelops his people. And though we had those treasures and jars of clay, God thought you were worthy enough to place within you the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And Jesus says, I've been knocking at your door long enough, would you invite me in so I could feast with you? And then He'll reveal to you the treasures of heaven, there'll be a love romance, there's a journey, you'll hear disappointments, you'll hear your delights. But you will know that God has got you, and He loves you because He loves you. He cares for you in a way that only He can. So, God, in this moment, we pray that, ah, the lies of the enemy would go, the voice that tells us we're not good enough. There's a difference in class between us and Jesus. In one moment, He's for us in the next moment. He's against us. Ah, that lies would go in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, everybody in here, as you have come to do business with us, would recognize the beauty of Jesus Christ. And recognize that they are also beautiful to Jesus Christ. And may we get caught up in the wonders of your grace and all your love. You're a good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We usually just get a worship band up, but I'm just going to end the service there. I pray that you just feel the heart of God as you journey into your Monday, your journey into the Tuesday. Never think. Jesus said this to his apostles, nobody can pluck you for the palm of my hand. Romans 8, many okay in my favorite chapter in the Bible, nothing can separate us for His love, heights, depths, demons, and hell. Sometimes it's just us that's a problem. But know this day that nothing can separate you for His love. And you go on, on a wonderful love journey with Jesus. Bless the sun is shining, Hallelujah. Yes. It's time to go to play. I'll miss you on my wife Wednesday evening, but you've left in the trusted care of the other leaders that's here and Sarah as well. A great week next week, and we'll see you when we get back. God bless you. Thanks again for coming.